talk more about it. So without further ado, we're going to be in, we're in part three of our uh, series through First Peter. And we are, it, with the title of the series is Standing Out in a Foreign World. And we're looking at how Peter explains to us and kind of defines some ways that we are to be identified as Christians and how we are to stand out in this world that we are ultimately we belong to we're citizens of heaven we belong to his kingdom and so how should that look then in our everyday life and practical ways that we live our life here on earth today so we're going to be looking at that more and more throughout the series and today we'll be in part three of that so i'll welcome sam up now for the sermon yeah good to uh, be here with you this evening um, great to see so many people here on a Sunday evening. Um, when the weather's so beautiful outside, it really, it's really fined up. I was here early this morning for the morning services that you kind of couldn't really see on the way into town uh, more than about 15 meters in front of the, the car. So but now it's a beautiful sun, sunny, Sunday e- sunny Sunday evening. Just before we get into the message tonight, uh, this morning at church we uh, celebrated Freedom Sunday. We partner with a number of organizations here at Calvary Chapel Freiburg. One of those is IJM, International Justice Mission. These flyers are downstairs. I just wanted to let you know that we did that this morning, that um, IJM called on us as well as churches around the world to dedicate a Sunday to looking at the question, why should we as Christians, why should you be involved in the struggle to end slavery in our world? So um, if that's something that has just hurt your interest now or maybe touched your heart then grab one of these flyers as you go they're unfortunately only in german but that shouldn't be a problem for for you if you're here because you're going to learn german anyway right that's why you're here um and you can you can get a hold of the message on on our website in english and in german i really encourage you to do that we're all called by god to act out our faith Okay, well, I'm going to read the text tonight. We're in, as Brandon said, um, First Peter. He said we're looking at how, what that means for us as Christians to stand out in a foreign world. And tonight, if we want to pick out one aspect, how that looks practically in our lives, well, the aspect that we'll be looking at tonight is a mindset. that um, The text we'll read tonight, um, basically Peter is showing us a mindset. And if we have this mindset, it will then begin to affect the, the way we live our lives, particularly in the way we deal with trials, tribulations, situations that come up. And it's a mindset that is characterized by hope. A living hope is basically what we could title the message this evening. So let me read to you in First Peter chapter 1, the verses 3 through 9. Well, I'm going to read all these verses. I'm not sure we'll get all the way through today, to be honest. So we'll see what happens, but here they are, so you hear them in context. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me just pray as we commenced this message this evening. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for this text that the Apostle Peter has seen fit under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit to pen for us, for the whole church throughout the ages as a great encouragement to us, also as a great challenge to us. Lord, I pray that your sheep this evening would hear your voice and would follow you, that you would speak to us now by your Holy Spirit through your Holy Scripture. I pray that you would help me to speak the truth in love. Protect me from error and keep me within the stream of holy orthodoxy that you have given to your church through all the ages. I pray that it would be a blessing to us here tonight. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I have to say, I love this text. It's one of my favorite texts in the New Testament. Or rather, it's become one of my favorite texts over the last years. I don't know, I'm kind of getting older every year, so I don't know how many years ago it was, but it's becoming one of my favorite texts over the years. But if you've got a good memory, um, you'll probably remember that we've already had this text this year at Church at Five. Does anyone remember this text here at Church at Five this year when it was? There you go, Brandon. You remember. Yeah, why would that be? Well, none of you remember. Was anyone here at Easter? Wow. No one was here at Easter. <laughs> Ella was here at Easter. Well, uh, we had this text on the second Sunday of Easter. That is, the, the, East, the, the Sunday after Easter Sunday. Because Easter, um, if you didn't realize, is actually a season of the year seven weeks long. It kind of stretches all the way down until Pentecost comes, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is the text, um, usually in the churches, for that second Sunday of Easter, the Sunday after Easter Sunday. And I think if you listen carefully while we read it, it should be clear why that would be. Uh, you see, on Easter Sunday, everyone's kind of, or they should be, if you're a Christian, like kind of overwhelmed with joy. You're kind of going up to people who you may not even know. You don't talk to them on any other Sunday of the year, but you're like, He is risen. And everyone's like, He is risen indeed. And if you're a true Christian, you know that God wants you to celebrate the resurrection of his son, so you should be stuffing your face with food on Easter Sunday. As King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to celebrate. And if that is not Easter Sunday, then I don't know what is. We need to learn to celebrate again as Christians. So that's what happens on Easter Sunday. We're kind of just celebrating the bare fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's alive and he's not dead. And so a week later, when we've calmed down some, um, we're ready to look at the implications of the resurrection for us. What does it mean for us now 
that Jesus is raised from the dead? Well, it means, according to this text, that we now have a living hope. It's got a lot to do with hope. Now, I don't know about you, I, I, I like hope. I've grown to like hope more and more. I look around the room here, most of you are young, and probably most people would say, I'm still young, although, as I said a moment ago, you're kind of getting older every year. Maybe that's why I like hope now more than I did 12 years ago, when I was still very young. Hope is one of those three, they call them the three cardinal Christian virtues. It's the second one of faith, hope, love. It's one of those three cardinal Christian virtues. It's something, as I said, that I've grown to love more and more because I started out in a place where I wasn't really interested in hope at all. It just didn't really play any part in my Christian life or my life at all. I was very concerned with the way, my, with, with what I was doing in my life. I, I was young, you know. You don't really think about hope in the sense of long-term future, but hope is future-looking. It's looking forward to what is to come. But if you're completely immersed in your life right now, if you allow the situations of your life right now, whether they be positive situations, like they were for me, like generally speaking, I, I, I came from, a, from a, a comfortable background, never had to, to, to suffer in that sense. But there might be negative situations as well, like the Christians here that Peter was writing to were immersed in. If you're completely immersed in your life and the situations that come up in your life kind of all the time, you kind of, it's almost like you know, some people walk along the path and they're like, they look up. They see the sky, the birds, the trees. Some people are kind of looking down, counting the, counting the, the pavement pieces. That's kind of the picture that, that I have here. If you're immersed in your life and your situations, it's kind of like you're looking down. You, you, you miss a whole area of what's going on. Then if that's you, then like it was me, you might have lost a, a really biblical appreciation for hope. But hope is really key as Peter shows us here tonight, for this mindset. The mindset that as we go on through the book of First Peter, we'll, it will turn out to be crucial in order to live a life that means we stand out in a foreign world, in order to go the distance, in order to endure, in order to persevere. That is to say, it's easy to hear a message that we as Christians should stand out in a foreign word and then, world and then be like pumped up, you go out and you maybe last a few days. But then you can fall back into old patterns or you get tired or you give up. If you really want to persevere longer, lifelong at standing out in a foreign world, then you're going to have to change your mindset. And one of the key things is that you obtain, that you receive a mindset of hope. I remember reading a book now, several years back. Everything's just several years back now. Um, could have been three years, I don't know, could have been five years ago. I read a book on the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus, and therefore on hope, the hope that comes from the resurrection. And that completely changed my perspective. It kind of opened my eyes. I was kind of going along there, looking down, just thinking about all the things that were going on in my life. And suddenly when I read this book, I was like, wow, yeah, there's a whole other aspect that I've been missing. It opened my eyes up to the, re the reality and also the necessity, how, how crucial it is that we have Christian hope. 
And this text tonight is a really foundational text when it comes to Christian hope. And this is, I just want to say this at the outset, this is really good news. It's good news. It's, hope can really change you. Like, let me just, let's just put it this way. Let's just sum up in one sense what we read in this text. Um, God is for us. He saved us. He's got an inheritance for us. It's in, in heaven. Nothing can happen to it. And he's got it ready for us. And he's going to give it to us. Just think about that for a minute and put that in perspective. That's our hope. Put that in perspective. So what's going to happen tomorrow on Monday or even tonight? Maybe you're going to go home to a difficult situation tonight. But what's going to happen on Monday? What could possibly happen, let's say even if you died, that could change the good news of this hope? The good news of this hope. That in eternity future, you have an inheritance waiting for you that cannot spoil, fade, or be taken away from you. It's guaranteed to you. It's guaranteed to you by God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week with Brandon, each person of the Trinity being involved in guaranteeing you your salvation. Even if I went outside tonight and I was hit by a tram, I'd still have this hope. It's okay. Ultimately, in all eternity, it's okay because I'll be with, with God. We saw that at the end. Even though these guys are going through hard times here, Peter says, you, have, you, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's the, that's the result of this mindset. Just doesn't matter what's going on, doesn't matter what's going to happen on Monday, you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you've perceived the reality that God is for you, that God is your saviour, that he's not going to let you go. And that gives you a living hope. So hope, if you've experienced it, is a both a wonderful and, let me say, a powerful thing. A powerful thing. There are many situations uh, in history and in life where if you looked at them purely scientifically, let's say that there are people on an island um, with, with little food, who's going to survive? It's often not the people who may be physically strongest who turn out to survive. It's the people who, have, psychologically speaking, don't lose hope that turn out to hold on. Hope is no mean thing. And so for these Christians whom Peter was writing to, all provinces in modern-day Turkey, hope was something that they were in need of because they were going through difficult times, trials and tribulations, probably, probably situations more difficult than any, externally speaking, like trials and tribulations, persecution from outside, probably situations more difficult than any situation you or I have ever been through. And hope was something that Peter who Christ had placed as pastor over his church. After the resurrection, we remember John 21, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter's kind of upset now. And he says, of course I love you, Lord. And what does Jesus say? Feed my lambs. I'm putting you in charge of looking after my church, Peter. You have to feed my lambs. Peter made sure that these Christians in trial and tribulation received hope. So today, we're going to
going to briefly look at two aspects of this hope which Peter introduces to us here. Firstly, we'll look at the source of this hope and then at its substance. The source of the hope and then at its substance. So Peter writes to these scattered Christians and um, that's what we've we've seen last two weeks he he can he anchors who they are in the triune god that is god who is holy trinity father son and holy spirit that means he connects their identity as christians to god who is father son and holy spirit and and last week last sunday we saw that with particular uh, reference to the place of god the father in our salvation we often think Yes, I believe in Jesus. We pray uh, about the Holy Spirit, but we often forget the, the election, the foreknowledge that God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So Peter, has he anchors us, he connects us in our identity. Who are we first and foremost, primarily as Christians? We are those who've been chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. That was what we saw last week. But Peter now goes on to say and to show that we who are Christians, we who are identified with God, are a people characterized by a, a particular and powerful hope. And so starting in verse 3, Peter begins to lay out this truth for us. So look with me now at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins here with what's called a doxology. Might as well learn a new word. Doxology comes from the Greek doxa, meaning glory or praise. And you'll, you'll notice this if you read through the Bible. It's no dry textbook talking about spiritual realities. It's not setting it up here in a systematic way as you might read in a dictionary. Peter here is, he's, we might say in our modern kind of charismatic term, he's on fire for God. He can't help but bring out of his mouth and therefore out of his pen or whatever it was that they wrote with back then his joy in God and his, his, his conviction, this God is worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. So he begins with a call to worship God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What I find encouraging here is that Peter, even though he's writing to people who are going through trials and tribulations, through difficult times, he doesn't first address the trials and tribulations. He'll get to those. We'll get to those. He doesn't address them first and say, oh, you know, I was really sorry to hear how it's going. It must be so hard for you guys. Let me just come alongside you guys. He doesn't do that yet. He doesn't make sure they're okay before leading them, maybe as a response to having received God's help to praise him. He, he starts straight up, even in the midst of trials, with a call to worship God. So this is what I want you to see. Straight away, we see how Peter's attitude, his mindset is different. 
but it is the mindset that we all of us, myself included, need to strive for with God's help. It's not easy. It's not easy. But Peter, Peter, we see this change in Peter too. We, we see the change in Peter too. Peter was always headstrong. He was always bold. He was always willing to speak his mind. And we see him speak his mind with Jesus on the evening of Maundy Thursday before Jesus went out into the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray and later be arrested. And Peter said, I will never abandon you. I won't leave you. And yet, a few hours later, when the soldiers came, Judas at their head to arrest Jesus in the garden, as they came forward to take hold of Jesus, his disciples fled, including Peter. So Peter said, like we might say, I'm, I'm there. But it, when it came to the trial, his mindset wasn't changed yet. Wasn't changed yet. He let, in that situation, in that moment, the situation define him rather than the eternal reality of who he was with, namely Jesus, the Son of God. But that all changes after Jesus reinstates Peter, as I mentioned a few moments ago in John 21. That all changes. And we see this here. And we see that in the rest of Peter's life. We know that Peter was prepared now to suffer for Jesus Christ because his mindset had changed. And what is it about this mindset that, that, is, that is different or that we, want, we might want to attain to. Put really simply, I thought about this, put really simply, Peter's mindset is more and primarily attuned to the reality of God. Who he is, so who God is and what God has done, then it is attuned to his situational surroundings. I think that's what it comes down to. It wasn't always like that. But Peter changed or had his mindset changed. He is more and primarily attuned to the reality of God, who he is and what God's done, than he is attuned to his situational surroundings. And I've met Christians who are further along this road than I am. I think maybe you have too. Let me give you an example. I don't find it easy, and I'm, I'm just using this as an example as opposed to not saying that everyone needs to do this i don't find it easy to just walk up the street and stop someone and say hey can i tell you about jesus i don't know about you that's not something that i'm like i love to spend an afternoon doing that because it makes me uncomfortable because it's kind of weird we don't have that in our culture that you just walk up and start talking to strangers and so when you do you're really stepping out that's something that peter did as well isn't he, he stepped out of the boat but in that moment, putting aside for the fact, just putting that aside, what's, what's happening there is that my mindset is primarily attuned to my situational surroundings. What's acceptable in this culture? What are people going to think of me? The people who, th who see me walk up to some stranger, perhaps? Or what is the person I walk up to going to think of me? Maybe they're going to think I'm an idiot or a fool. And I'm more attuned to that that I am attuned to the reality of God. The reality that Brandon made so clear to us last week when he talked about God's election, how that should actually embolden us when we preach or when we go out to speak to people about Jesus. Because we know God 
has chosen these people before the foundation of the world, his gospel cannot fail. That's what I mean. I'm more attuned to my situational surroundings than I am attuned to the the reality of God. And Peter has changed here. He's more attuned to God, who God is, than his situational surroundings. And specifically here, he's, he's attuned, the, the reality of God has given Peter a living hope. He's full of hope and he's full of joy despite all the difficult situ- situations he's in. He's not naive and stupid. It's not like he's just sitting there kind of blocking his ears and his eyes going and, just, and laughing and pretending it's all cool. He's not a nihilist or an existentialist. No, because he really knows who God is, he can really have this hope and this joy in spite of the trials, in spite of the circumstances. It's not easy to change that mindset of ours, but that's where we want to be headed. That's where we could be asking the Holy Spirit now to help us. Paul writes, doesn't he? This is something we find in the rest of the New Testament. Paul writes, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And I don't think Paul means by that, neglect your wife and kids and just go and pray every day. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean ignore your neighbor or the hungry or the poor or the enslaved or your mitbewohner, your roommate. Apparently that's the German word, roommate. No, what Paul must mean is, because we are called to love our neighbors and love our wives and look after our children and take care of the poor and the hungry and the enslaved, he must mean you do all those things, but be more attuned to heavenly reality than earthly circumstance. So Peter calls us here to bless and praise God. The praise here mostly looks forward to what we've already read today. It's almost as if he's saying, God, you are so great. Or he's saying to the Christians in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, he's saying, guys, you've got to praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope. It's a, it's a praise looking forward, mostly. But course it's also a response to what he's already written that we saw last week about the the massive truth of the the um, the involvement of the god the father and the god the son and god the holy spirit in our salvation that he's looking back saying praise be to god for all he's done so that we can truly say this if we really understand verse two that we le- that we read last week If we really understand verse 2, then regardless of our current circumstances, we'll do verse 3. You kind of get that? If we really understand the truth in verse 2, regardless of our circumstances in life now, we will do verse 3, namely, we will give God praise. Now, in the Old Testament, we regularly see prayers and psalms blessing and praising God. You probably know that from the Psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's been turned into many a modern worship song. 
But it's easy to overlook here a fundamental part of Christian theology in this praise, namely that God is a father and that God the Father, what does it mean to be a father? How can you be a father if you don't have a child? You can't be a father without a child. So if God has a father, if God is a father, it means he also has, in this case, a son. God the Father has an eternal and uncreated Son, Jesus Christ. Eternal and uncreated means there never was a time when the Son was not. That's how they put it 1,600 years ago. There's never been a time when Jesus didn't exist. He's the eternal Son of God. He became incarnate. That, that means to say he took on flesh. He became like one of us. And he was born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ. That's, that's caught up in this text here from Peter in the first part of verse 3. And he is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. That is to say he is the, the kurios, as it says in the Greek. That is to say he's the true ruler and king of this world. And he's also the Christ. Christ being the Greek translation of Messiah. That is to say, he is the fulfillment of all the hopes and all the prophecies of ancient Israel. Praise be to this God, the Father and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And now Peter begins to show us what God has done through the Son, through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the second part of verse 3 here, he says, In his great mercy, in his great mercy... The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He has compassion on all that he has made. That's a precious promise from the Psalms that I want each of you to take with you. You guys, we guys, you guys, we need to be... Le Let me just cut that out of the tape, that one. We, we all of us, we need to be living each day holding fast to the promises of God. And the promise, this is a promise that I want to speak to each one of you. What is God like? He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. He has compassion on all that he has made. In his great mercy, how is God's, what is God's disposition towards you? What is God's attitude when he looks down upon you? Peter says here, to the Christians in God's great mercy. He is merciful towards you. God is not bound. He's not obligated to do something for you. This is God's free action of showing mercy, of showing favor towards us. That is good news. Really, it is. It's good news. God is merciful towards me. You remember, I mean, it might, just seem, it might just seem really simple to you guys, but if you remember last year when we had Reformation, 500 years of the Reformation, Martin Luther spent years in spiritual and psychological agony searching for a God who would be merciful to him. How do I find a merciful God? How do I get away from this holy, righteous God who is all over my back, pressing me into the ground because I'm not perfect, because I'm a sinner? 
God is merciful towards us. And he has given us, this is so astounding, he has given us new birth into a living hope. That, that new birth means born again. God, it actually means in the original, God has caused us to be born again. It's caused us to be born again. We know that we're all originally of Adam's ancestry. We're all sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, C.S. Lewis put it in the Narnia series. That is to say, there's two, there's two great families, if you will, in the Bible. There's those, according to Adam, where Adam as our representative sinned at the beginning of the age and cast the whole human race into sin and into death. And there needed to be a way, somehow, supernaturally, where this could be undone, where this death and this sin could be conquered and could be defeated. And that came through Jesus Christ, who is, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, the new Adam, the second Adam, the last Adam. He's now the head of a new humanity. It's as if when, when it came to Jesus, he went all the way back in human history, right up to the very start, where, to that fork in the road where Adam and Eve went the wrong way and he went the right way. He refounded Christianity. Sorry. He refounded humanity, the human race. And anyone who is in him belongs to that new humanity. We're all born naturally, sons and daughters of Adam. And here we hear that God has given us, has caused us to be born again. That is, born into a new family, into the family of Jesus Christ, born into a new humanity. And how does that happen? Well, we know that being born again, Jesus says in John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus, is something that happens by water and by spirit. That is to say that we're talking about baptism. We are baptized by water and we receive the Holy Spirit and the Spirit gives us faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be born again, to be born of the water and of the Spirit, to be reborn by faith in Jesus Christ with the symbol of baptism showing that we're cleansed of sin, that we've died with Christ, that we've been raised to new life with Him, that we're identified with Him, we're part of His family. And it says here, amazingly, this is not something we, we made happen in the first sense, but rather this is something that God caused. He caused each of you to be born again. He sent His Spirit, as we heard last week, to open up your heart so that you realize that you are in need of salvation, so that you would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness for your sins by entrusting them to His blood shed on the cross. And when you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you exercised faith in Him, God the Father looked down, saw your faith, and as we believe here, he justified you on the basis of that faith. He declared you righteous before him on the basis of that faith. That's being born again. So I have to ask you here, have you been born again? Have you been born again? When you are born again, Peter continues here, 
you are born into a living hope. I like that. He calls this hope a living hope. He doesn't just say into a hope. He says a hope that is alive. That is alive. There's different ways you could understand what that would mean, that this hope is alive or or living. The way I look at it is that this hope... um, This hope affects the way, uh, come back to that mindset, this hope affects the way we live. It affects the way we go through each day because it's alive in us. It's constantly, it should be constantly renewing our thoughts and our spirit within us, orienting us towards heavenly things, towards God, towards the glorious future that he's promised to us. It's a living hope. And this hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I have to say, and again, speaking of my own experience, um, having, as I said, just been really, I, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. In some sense, I, I always went to church. I was always a Christian in one sense, but I lived my life, especially in my teenage years and my early 20s, kind of really in a bubble. I was really just concerned with my own life. And it was then that, that God changed me and kind of, as I said before, got me to look up and see the reality. And I have to say, one of the things I discovered when I looked up and saw that reality is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is so crucial to our Christian faith. Who knows 1 Corinthians 15? Wow, you guys are biblically literate. Like no hands went up, man. Write that one down for the next series. I'm just 1 Corinthians 15 is when, is when Paul says, If Christ be not risen, our faith is in vain. We are still in our sins utterly pointless we're wasting our time here let's go out and go to the pub the resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely crucial what I realized that I hadn't realized before is what is the Christian hope what is what do we as Christians look forward to we look forward to bodily resurrection ourselves that we will rise from the dead that when have you if you've been to a funeral here and I've been to a few when you see the person being lowered well, in the casket into the ground, the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead says that's not the end. That's not the final word. We will be bodily raised from the dead because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. This is where, this is where it really hits hope. Because hope, as I said earlier in the sermon, hope concerns the future. It looks ahead. And therefore, hope, if it, if it is to be a real hope for us, hope must deal with death. Hope must deal with death. If you think about it, people who do not believe in God, who do not believe in the resurrection or in eternal life, they, can't, they have no personal hope. When they die, that's it. It's over. They go back to oblivion. And so you'll often hear 
their hope will be expressed in some in some sense of a legacy. I hope that through my life's work, you know, I, I can be a blessing to humanity, or I hope that humanity will continue to the stars, whatever it might be. But we as Christians, we have personal hope. Our hope deals with death. That is to say, our hope gives us a perspective for life after death. And this hope is grounded, that's why he says this living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Jesus Christ rose again on Easter Sunday, which is why this text comes the second Sunday of Easter every year, he dealt with sin, he dealt with the devil, and he dealt with death. It's done, it's finished, he conquered them. That's why, 1 Corinthians 15, everyone should know it. Verse 52, death, where is your sting? As in, you've got nothing on me anymore, death. You've been conquered. You've lost all your power. Christ is indeed raised from the dead. So it's kind of like the resurrection of Christ from the dead guarantees, make sure, make certain all of the promises that Jesus had given us beforehand and all of the things that he had done beforehand. Take the greatest example. When he died for us on Good Friday on the cross in order to bear our sin. How do we know that sin was born? Because he took the penalty and then conquered death, which was the penalty for sin, proving that death no longer has any power. And how did he conquer death? By rising to new life. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if he didn't rise from the dead, we're still in our sins. Still in our sins. But through the resurrection, it's like the, it's like the, the cornerstone that is, that is put into place to make the whole building stand solid and strong. Sin's dealt with, devil's dealt with, death is dealt with. And this is what Peter is saying. This gives us a living hope. Now that was the because that was the source of hope. I want to talk very briefly because our time is up about the substance of hope. which we read here in verse 4 and 5. Let me, let me read it to you here. It says, Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What Peter is saying here is, I'll break it down very briefly. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He conquers death. And he conquers it, conquers it for us. By the first fruits is the picture the Bible uses. It comes from the harvest. That there's always the, the first part of the harvest that you take in, which is then a, a harbinger or an omen of the rest of the harvest that will one day come in. So the first fruits is, because, because Jesus has risen from the dead, you can be sure that you also will rise from the dead 
if you're in Him. How do you become in Him? By being born again. How do you be born again? By being baptized into Christ on the basis of faith that the Holy Spirit has given to you, that Jesus is Lord. We've seen all of that. Okay, and if, that's, if any of that is not clear, then come and speak to me or Brandon afterwards. But what happens is when we are baptized into Christ, and this is, this is Romans 6, where we're united with Christ, the Bible actually says that we are adopted into his family. Jesus is a son of God by nature, by, by who he is, the eternal, uncreated, begotten, only begotten son of the Father. We are not sons and daughters of God by nature. We are by nature, Ephesians 2, children of wrath. But we become sons and daughters of God by adoption because we're adopted. And adoption here is a very positive thing. One time I preached about adoption. Some guy came up to me. He was really upset because he was like, adoption? I don't want to be adopted. Adoption is positive. You are adopted into God's family as a son or daughter, which means... Let's just look at this vision very briefly that just like Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can, can speak to his Father, what does he say? He says, Abba, Father. That's what you can do because God is now your Father in the same way that he's the Father of Jesus Christ. So you're adopted into the family and as an adopted son or daughter, you receive the inheritance that is promised to that God the Father has promised to his son Jesus Christ you become a a co-inheritor with Jesus Christ that's what Peter's referring to here you're you come into an inheritance and let's think about it is God the Father ever going to send Jesus Christ the son away is he ever going to say i've had enough of you Jesus no way we're talking about the eternal trinity here, perfect love. So therefore, your inheritance can never perish, spoil, or fade. Nothing can happen to it. It's safe, kept in heaven for you. I mean, this is just such good news. If, if you're feeling bad, how about this? This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, and you, through faith, are shielded by God's power. God's power is actually around you, shielding you, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. So salvation here is both a past thing. We've been saved in the past by what Christ did on the cross. It's a present thing. We're being saved now. We'll get into that in, from verse 13 in a couple of weeks' time, that we're living now for God. But it's also a future thing. On that final day, our salvation will be fully revealed. And God is actually shielding us with his power to protect us, to keep us for that day so that we will most definitely receive the inheritance that he has stored up for us. So I don't know, I don't know how else to, to say that that's good news. And now I'm going to finish here now with verse 6. And uh, I've done this before because I've preached on this text once before. And uh, it's interesting Peter makes a claim here about the readers, about the hearers. He's not there to see them. He, as Brandon said, he's probably in Rome, several hundred miles away. I can see you, so I can t test if this is correct. So he says, verse 6, In all this, you greatly rejoice. You do. You greatly rejoice. <laughs> it's more rejoicing than I got the first time. <laughs> Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief 
in all kinds of trials. So let's finish on that note. Do I invite the worship team to come back up? Basically, Peter is saying, look, yes, life's hard and life's tough, and you guys are going through some tough things, but seriously, if you fully understood the reality that I'm speaking about here, of how much God is for you, that he is merciful, that he has caused you to be born again, that he has given you a living hope that is a future perspective of life beyond death, that it's guaranteed for you by the historical example, the first fruits of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, that you've been adopted into his family, that you can now speak to him as your father, just as Jesus Christ does, and that in fact God's power is shielding you, protecting you, taking you through life. Even through the difficult situations, God's still with you. He's protecting in those situations. When you get to the end of those situations, you can look back and say, thank you, God, for helping me through. And he's saying, yep, you're having, you're having grief in all kinds of trials right now, but I know when you're aware of this reality, in all this you greatly rejoice. The Christian mindset of hope, let me finish on this sentence, as I said before, it's a reorientation that we're no longer primarily attuned to our situational surroundings, but we're primarily attuned to the reality of God. And as this reality begins to, to, to sort of settle down in all its facets, in all its amazingness, that's a new word, um, in all its amazingness, then we actually have hope and we actually have joy. And I think I would describe joy in this moment as joy... Um, is the ability to be deeply happy in God no matter what the circumstances are because you know who he is. You know who he is and this is who he is. So we're going to sing now a last song and then after the service I think there'll be prayer here. I'd love to pray with you. Um, but yeah, I want you guys to greatly rejoice because there's really, after hearing this, no reason not to rejoice. No reason not to have hope. Amen.